This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It's LaChina Robinson, your host of ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. We are excited to bring you another episode because there is so much going on right now in women's basketball. And in today's lineup, we'll have Charlie Cream. We have Doris Burke joining us. That's right. The GOAT will be joining the show as well as the Maryland duo of Shatori Walker-Kimbrough and Brianna Jones. So we've got a great show just to go to the clipboard quickly. Now, the clipboard is my kind of just what in the heck is going on segment where we just throw out a couple things that stand out to us on the uh, women's basketball scene. Of course, I've got my producer with me as always, Tarika Foster Brasby. Um, But just a couple things to throw out on the WNBA side of the house. Free agency has been crazy. If you haven't heard, Elena Deladon has signed with the Washington Mystics. Joining her will be Christy Tolliver, Um, of the 2006 National Championship Maryland Terrapins, also of this year's L.A. Sparks World Championship team, um, has decided to join the Mystics. She's going home. She's a a DMV girl. So major moves by Mike Tebow that will affect the landscape, no doubt. And there's more to come. I mean, every minute there seems to be some major announcement. So keep your eyes on free agency on the WNBA side. UConn. 98 straight and rolling. They play SMU Saturday for 99. If they win that, they will play South Carolina on Big Monday for their 100th consecutive win. And every win is a record because they've already broken the record. So um, congrats to UConn. They're still rolling. We'll talk a little bit to Forrest Burke about that game later on because she'll be calling that game. Congratulations to Tara Vanderveer. She did hit the 1,000 career win mark. Um, went for 1,001 on Monday against UCLA, but the Bruins, upset-minded, pulled off the win at Maple Pavilion. So congratulations to Corey Close. But um, Tara Vanderveer was on our show last week. If you haven't heard, please go back. Lots of gems, jewels, wonderful things she shared with us, along with just helping us to remember the history of the game and how far we've come. So congratulations, Tara, all your players, your entire program for those accomplishments. Um, But we've got a lot of college women's basketball to talk about. So with that, we are going to head into the first quarter. First quarter. Fans, we want to thank you guys for hanging out with us. Charlie Cream is going to join us in just a moment. But once again, we just wanted to remind you, you can reach us on social media, Twitter, via the hashtag Around the Rim. Um, You can go to the ESPN app and download the show there. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, We love to interact with fans, but thank you guys for taking the time to stick with us on some women's basketball talk. Don't forget, later on, we have Doris Burke on the show in the second quarter, as well as the Maryland duo of Shatori Walker-Kimbrough and Brianna Jones in the third quarter. Uh, But right now, we want to welcome in our ESPN women's basketball bracketologist, and that is Charlie Cream. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Oh, glad to be back on with China. So it's it's been a busy time right now. We had another reveal from the NCAA on Monday. Um, we've had some major upsets, lots of great and fun stuff happening. And, and obviously you're focused on 
moving all the puzzle pieces for the team of 64, the first thing I actually want to do, Charlie, is I want to talk about a little bit of bracketology vocabulary because there are some terms that I think we use um, quite often internally that we want to help the fans with. Um, and, and let's just start with uh, two things in particular. We'll try to do this every time we, we have you on. Tell us what the eye test is um, since Rebecca Lobo talked a lot about the eye test on Monday. And tell us what the S-curve is. Okay, yeah, very good. Uh, the eye test, that, that definition is a little bit more interpretive because it, it, it really is very subjective. But it's essentially you're watching a team play and you're whatever, what you see tells you how you feel they, they rate, how good that team is simply by sitting there and watching games. And, and that's, the eye test is not an official criterion for selection, but, but it is in the sense that it's not named the eye test by the committee, but they all watch games. And that that certainly is taken into consideration, and it's what we as analysts look at all the time. We also watch a lot of basketball, and it's really just a, a, of what you see. But again, that's interpretive. Some people watch the same thing and see two different things, or three different things, or twelve different things. So th- there is a such a subjectivity to that. That's why we have to incorporate some of the data around it to give the eye test a little bit of perspective. That's essentially what it is. It's, and I think to, to what Rebecca has been referencing with the eye test for these last few weeks is, is, is Maryland. And simply watching Maryland play, I think most people see them as a, a better than the ninth best team in the country. I, w- I would agree with Rebecca's assessment. It's hard to fathom that there are eight better teams. And she's basing that on the eye test. But you do have to combine that with, well, what within that framework of the eye test have they proven? And that's when you kind of go to the numbers and say, well, they, they've only really been tested a few times because of the nature of their schedule. So is that eye test really telling us the full story? Is, are we just basing that off the mm-hmm. UConn game or the Arizona State win or how, they, how well they played in beating Louisville on the road? And... There's just not a lot else to go on uh, in terms of so that I guess that's I've, I've answered it with a lot of vocabulary in and of itself, but I think that's that goes to the fact that the eye test is so broad and or can be so broad and is is interpretive depending on whose eyes they actually are. Uh, in terms of the right. S curve, the S curve is just it's, it's how the committee lays down the, the 64 teams that they've chosen for selection. And it, it's, a, it's kind of a wraparound. So if you're looking on a sheet of paper with the S-curve and you're looking left to right, one, then two, then three, then four goes all the way to the right, then five comes right underneath the four and moves back right to left, five, six, seven, eight, all the way to the left side. So, and that's how they balance the bracket amongst the top four seeds in each region. So the... Another, the, in other words, the worst four would be placed with the best five, um, or the best, the worst two would be placed with the the best three, and so on and so forth. So that's it, instead of going just straight down a page and go and, and just counting one, two, three, four, it's a it's a wraparound or a kind of a snake 
look to it as you lay out the numbers. I, I hope I've given that a good enough explanation. But that's why we talk about uh, you know the, the, the top the top seed overall gets matched up with the worst number two, the number eight team overall, and then the number nine team. If they if they can balance the bracket with some other criteria, that's the way it would lay out. Right, and so essentially, there's no way that UConn, if they are the number one overall seed, should have to play the best overall number two seed. They would play the worst number two seed. So UConn would start in that first slot in number one, and then when you curve around to the second row, that best number two seed would be lined up with the worst number one seed, and then you would that all the way through so yes that makes total sense and thank you for explaining that we will try to educate the fans more and more speaking of educating the fans i just wanted to go through quickly um and tell them about the reveal basically what the reveal is is the ncaa division one women's basketball championship sports committee has been providing what they say is their top 16 reveal um throughout the season and they just had another one this past um, Monday. I believe they're going to have three in total. Is that right, Charlie? Yeah, there's one more to come in, in just under two weeks' time, another big Monday reveal on February 20th. Yes. Yeah, so there'll be another reveal. And this is basically how they see the top 16 seeds laid out as of that day. And obviously the top 16 teams are the teams that will host in the first and second round. So as of right now, they are rated as UConn, Baylor, South Carolina, Mississippi State, which would essentially all be one seed in that order. Um, and then Florida State, Notre Dame, Oregon State, Stanford, all on the two line. Maryland, Washington, Texas, Duke, all in that three, and then Louisville, UCLA, North Carolina State, and DePaul. So a couple things happened this past week. Texas beat Baylor, which is major on Big Monday at in Waco, which, like, never happens. Um, Kim Mulkey did not take her jacket off. I'm totally disappointed with that. That might have changed the flow <laughs> of the game. Also, you know, you have to consider the fact that Stanford got beat at home by UCLA. Big win for Corey Close's group. Um, NC State continues to be a giant. Killer. Uh, they took out Louisville um, at Louisville, but we know from their Notre Dame loss, Louisville's Notre Dame loss on Monday, that they're a bit depleted and may have some things happening. Um, you know, in terms of injury that could impact their their big picture. So, with all of these different things happening. Tennessee also, you know, with their up and down. Now, they're not a part of this conversation to host right now, but, God, I think we all feel like they could be in the top 16 seed if, if they really wanted to be. Uh, but with all this happening, Charlie, just share with us maybe your top three um, observations from what happened this past week and, and any trends that you see happening um, as we move forward into these next few weeks of the regular season. So I think two things that I, I think all – over the course of these two reveals that we can sort of pull from, is one that strength of schedule is something that's a, a topic, a hot button topic of discussion amongst the committee members. Um, that's kind of how we would look at uh, what, why Maryland is positioned where Maryland is. We kind of touched on that a little bit already. And the other thing is big wins, key wins, top 25 wins, top 10 wins. I, I, I sort of got that from this past reveal and actually speaking to committee chair Terry Gollick, uh on Monday. And, and as we discussed around NC State being in the top 16, they've, they've had some curious losses on their, on their schedule and they haven't played well in some other games. But when you flip the coin around, 
and they have wins against Notre Dame. They just won at Louisville, um, and they beat Florida State. So they, they have they have two wins against top eight teams, top six teams, really. Uh, just just going back uh, about a month or so, and so they have this list of great wins, and that's really what got them into the top sixteen. So those two things, I think, as we evaluate teams even outside of the top 16 and try to figure out maybe who's going to be in and who's going to be out on the overall field. That, that's something that, that I'm now looking at that much more closely when they're, the teams are so paper thin and different. I'm looking very closely at what's their strength of schedule. What did they challenge themselves with in the non-conference? And then what amount of those quality wins can we point to? This isn't to say that all those other things that we've discussed year in and year out that are criteria that that aren't discussed. But I just think that those are the two big takeaways from these two reveals and conversations that that can kept coming up again and again as as individual teams were brought up for discussion. That's true. And you know what? The NC State thing was intriguing because you look at some of their losses and they've lost to North Carolina. I mean, they've they've been up and down, but their ups have been really, really high. And so I thought that the the committee was consistent, not only in uh, when it comes to scheduling and with Maryland, you know, because they kind of have consistently maybe moved them up a little bit, but it may have been just because some other teams lost and some other procedural bumps. But um, but then to also reward NC State and not that they have a ton of control over their conference schedule, but they've taken advantage of those wins on their conference schedule, which has has bumped them into that top 16. Um, what do you see could happen, if anything, coming out of the UConn-South Carolina game. Say hypothetically South Carolina wins and then say hypothetically South Carolina loses. What could what could we see happen in the bracket? If South Carolina wins, I think that would bump them up, to, especially since because Baylor has now lost a, a second game. I, with a win over UConn, I think that would bump South Carolina up to the number two overall team. I don't think UConn losing is going to change their status as the number one overall at all. They they still have more quality wins than anybody else. They they've still essentially beaten everybody else on their schedule. I think UConn is the number one overall seed, very very solidly at this point. The gap between one and two is. I don't think it'd be enough. Just because, even though South Carolina would have now had the head to head win over UConn for South Carolina to elevate past UConn. Because South Carolina has some other chinks uh, in their armor on, on their resume with some other losses. So no matter what the result of this game, UConn, I think, is still your number one overall. But if South Carolina can get a win, I think that that, like I said, that bumps them up to two. If UConn wins, and it's, and it's you know reasonable in terms of margin of victory and how the game goes, I don't see South Carolina falling you know, outside of being a number one seed. Perhaps... That would be enough to, to slip Mississippi State and South Carolina by three and four overall, because I do know the committee had some discussion around that already in this past reveal, who to put number three and who to put number four. So that might be enough to, to slide South Carolina down, but I don't think it would be enough, given that they were, they're playing this elite team, to knock them off the one line. Does a strong South Carolina showing, but a loss to UConn bump them ahead of Baylor? I mean, is Baylor still, in your opinion, the sec the second number one seed, even with the loss I, to Texas? I, I, I well, they, they certainly are today. 
whether that would hold true, say South Carolina lost a, a three-point game at UConn, um, that's a, that's probably the best and toughest question to answer. I would still lean toward Baylor staying at number two, uh, but it would certainly that margin right now I think is fairly comfortable for Baylor despite the loss the other night. That would it would squeeze that margin, making Baylor's next game against Texas that much more important, making the SEC tournament for South Carolina that much more important, and and then likewise. Baylor as is, is, is it gets into Big 12 tournament play, too. It would it would certainly add a lot more intrigue, I think, to some of these late-season matchups uh, and, and then certainly the conference tournaments if we, if we could get that gap closed even more. Well, all eyes will be on Big Monday. Once again, fans, don't forget this coming Monday, um, South Carolina versus UConn. It could be UConn's 100th straight win. They still have a game, believe, against SMU Saturday, which would be 99. They win that. They have a chance for 100 in a row. Very, very quickly, because my producer, Tarika Foster, is going to kill me. Um, Charlie, to wrap with this discussion, um, mid-majors, give us one line on what – um, what is the state of mid-majors right now in the field? I know that we talked about this before. You said it looked bleak, and then this past week, and I'm just going off of the AP vo- poll voting. You know, we go look at the AP poll. Green Bay is in it. Then they lose to Oakland, and they lost to Detroit. Uh, the next five out for our AP poll, you know, team, for example, take Harvard. Uh, lost to Penn, lost to Princeton. You know, so I'm looking at all these maybe possibilities and – I mean, in your opinion, what what is what is keeping the mid-majors out of the mix right now? Well, I think basically what you just described. There's too, there, there's too much losing going on within the conference. Mid-majors that that you know, kind of deeper mid-majors that have a viability for at-large bids are usually ones that go that have some sort of non-conference win of, of note, and they completely and utterly dominate their league. We don't have that this year. Mm-hmm. I still think Green Bay is, is an at-large candidate, they're, but they're about the only one. Possibly a James Madison, and that might be stretching a little bit. Possibly, with a nice run, a second team from the Atlantic 10, a GW would be that team, or, you know, or Dayton, if, if Dayton falls behind GW in the standing. But honestly, after that, that's, that's pretty much, we're shutting it down. There's, this is a bad year for the mid-majors. And if Green Bay happens to stumble one more time, um, and then lose, doesn't win the conference tournament, we're we're talking about possibly not one single mid-major at-large team this year. Crazy, crazy. I mean, just a couple years ago, it was Marist, it was Dayton. You know, was, you know, we think about even the Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, and Conference USA. So much to really explore as far as what has happened to the mid-majors this year. But so much more basketball to come. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. We will have you on again probably after the next reveal because we like this controversy. Um, so <laughs> <Me too. laughs> we will uh, we will look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you so much for all of the bracketology you provided to the fans and, and uh, for all the knowledge for women's basketball. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks, LaShawn. And everybody, keep listening to this podcast. It's the best thing out there for women's basketball. I'm telling you. Oh, thank you, Charlie. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> so, fans, with that, we will head into the second quarter. Second quarter, Inside the Huddle. 
fans, that's right. We are going inside the huddle for an exclusive interview, an interview that I'm not going to lie. I never thought was possible for Around the Rim. We have with us the one and only, my idol in broadcasting, and the finest analyst in the game, none other than the Doris Burke. Welcome to the show, Doris. LaChina, never let it be said that (laughs) shameless public lobbying doesn't work. And I have finally made it to the Around the Rim pod, and I can't wait to tell Dave O'Brien on the South Carolina UConn game. (laughs) <laughs> I know. You know what's so funny is every time you guys would talk about it, people would tweet me and they would say, are you really going to let Doris have to keep mentioning the podcast? I was like, we're getting on. We're getting on. I mean, I got crap from everywhere. Even even my mother, who was just, you know, I can't even begin mm-hmm. to tell you how naive she can be with the basketball. She's sitting next to me one day. She was like, are you going to have that woman on your podcast? I'm like, yes, yes. Way to go, mom. So, well, <laughs> yes. So welcome to the show. And um, gosh, we've got a, a lot of things we want to talk to you about today. So bear with me as I jump all over the place and try to keep my nerves at bay. But let's start with this. Um, fans may not know that this Saturday, February 11th, Doris Burke, and at the time was, and let me let me make sure I say this correctly. It's not Doris. It's Doris. I want to make sure. I have a little <laughs> bit of a southern accent. But yeah. I do, it is It is pronounced Doris, isn't that correct? Right, I would introdu- introduce myself as Doris Burke. Uh, but it is, it's funny because, so I was born in New York, raised for the most part in New Jersey. And there are just certain ways people say certain vowel sounds. Now I live in New England, mm-hmm. so I went from calling people auntie to now because <laughs> I was married up in the north and have lived there for so long, now everybody is auntie and my family kills me for that, so... It's just, as you know, it's the nuances of where you come from. Yes. Well, I am I am definitely working on getting my I was born in Boston, but since coming to Atlanta, I've lived here the last 15 years. I have my northern accent is completely null. So I am working on my Doris. But Doris, you will have your jersey retired by the Providence Friars. Amazing. This Saturday. And let me just let fans know, Doris was a baller in her day. 602 assists, still number two on the all-time career list, over 1,300 points, three-time All-Biggie selection, a Kodak All-American. Congratulations on that honor, Doris. And, and take us back to that young woman and tell us about your journey, not only with basketball, but then how you ended up in broadcasting. You know, it's kind of a fascinating evolution because had you seen me as a player, LaChina, you would laugh at the very notion that broadcasting would be in my future. I mean, I had it all going on. Bad hair, bad clothes, (laughs) bad skin, bad teeth. And and literally the only place in my life when I was, you know, from from going back to sixth grade, probably through my, my college days at Providence College, there was one place I had confidence, and that was on the basketball floor. And I wonder how many of these young women um, feel the same and how empowered success, hard work, the process of trying to work with your teammates to achieve common goals has on the self-esteem of young women. So whether we're talking about men's college athletics or women's, uh, there's a lot of criticism of college athletics for what's wrong with it. I would say Mm -hmm. there is still fundamental, inherent value to it. When you have an opportunity to compete at the highest level, 
uh, academically and athletically, when you face performance pressure daily, when something is important to you, when you recognize that there are things bigger than yourself, that the goal is to be a good teammate, um, that there's value in all that. So I would say to you, uh, I've been blessed just I've always felt like divine providence has had a small hand in my lower back and sort of pushed me in the direction I needed to go. Uh, and I got lucky. You know, I went from that shy kid on a basketball court to, you know, I coached at Providence College for two years. I wanted to get married and have children. I left coaching. They put their women's basketball on Radio La China. And that was my introduction to it back in 1990. And thankfully, women's basketball coverage was exploding. And, you know, seven short years later, the WNBA is, is formed. And that was really the first time a woman could make a living doing what Dick Vitale or Bill Raftery did. And that's be a color analyst, because between what you could get in terms of number of games in the in the WNBA and what you could get as a color analyst in the wintertime, um, would afford you an opportunity to make a living. And uh, and so I've been really, really lucky. I've. I've been a beneficiary of good timing, um, so and I'm I'm really thankful for the Jersey retirement. Providence College means a great deal to me. Uh, my my teammates, the the people I met, my professors. It's a small Catholic college in the Northeast um, that takes seriously, you know, its role to sort of develop the person in their entirety, and uh, and so I'm indebted to the school. I would have never in a million years as the last of eight kids been able to afford a college education and had it not been for that basketball scholarship which changed my life uh i'm not sure i could have gotten to the place i'm I'm fortunate enough to be wow that is really loaded and as i'm listening to you speak first of all let me just say some of those pictures of that bad hair may come back to haunt you because i've had the (laughs) honor of visiting Providence on several occasions and I've taken some some shots that I can put a picture collage together and I think I'm going to do that for Saturday in celebration of your Jersey retirement Um, but uh, going back to radio it's so interesting because that's actually where I started my career and I've told young people all the time that there's such great value in radio you know these days everybody wants to be seen right and um, Mm -hmm. I actually hate on cameras like I I may look cute like I did come prepared but I would rather not have to worry about what I look like if I don't have to during the course of the game and radio Mm -hmm. taught me that like I used to eat popcorn during the games on radio but I didn't have to worry about all those other aspects of what do you look like and you know obviously that comes into it later on if you're doing a stand-up sideline kind kind of thing so I admire that you also got your start in radio and and also going back to your piece about being a young woman I mean I, I I tell people all the time I was nowhere near as good as you were as a player but what the game of basketball did for my confidence, I mean, I was 6'4 at 14 years old, and I felt like there was nowhere in the world for me to fit, you know, but the basketball yeah. court. So finally yeah. picking up a basketball for a young woman who, you know, mm-hmm. every day and you're told, okay, you're not, you're not as good as a boy, you know, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. And even in my own family, breaking down those barriers of, hey, girls can actually play basketball. I think it's so powerful to have that, that moment. But congratulations to you on that. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, I think people wonder this all the time. You are one of the few that work in both women's and men's basketball, right? At various levels, you've done it at every level. 
we get the questions all the time about, you know, what is the women, what does women's basketball have to do, whether it's at the collegiate level or WNBA level, to get more attention, to get more sponsorships, to get even money. I mean, we have these conversations uh, all the time. We hear these questions. From your opinion and covering both sides of it, both genders, should we be asking those questions? And if so, what are some of the things that women's basketball can do to help close the gap if you feel it's necessary? Well, it's our responsibility to ask those questions, certainly. And I would say that it's not only a women's basketball issue anymore. I think if you look across networks, uh, there is real concern uh, about ratings and whether we're talking about college basketball ratings um, on the men's side or the women's side, it's an increasingly cluttered environment. If, if When I was a kid, LaChina, watching college basketball was appointment viewing. So I would plan my weekends, I kid you not, around the broadcasts, which were only on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, and it typically it was Notre Dame or UCLA or one of those level programs. And you had to watch because it was the only show on television. And then, you know, slowly but surely, and I think Dave Gavitt, uh, as a visionary, probably doesn't get enough credit uh, as it relates to how he helped college basketball grow, sort of understanding the value of television, the power of the Northeast markets to drive ratings and interest. I mean, Big East basketball was a happening in the 1980s. And in fact, went into my decision to go into Providence College because it was a Big East school. It's, it's certainly a greater issue on the women's side. No one knows the answer. Do I believe that this is in some part a, uh, a lingering cultural bias as it relates to women and their role in society? No question. And as you know, change in society moves at a glacial pace at times, even in this age of rapid technological change. Um, I interviewed Diana Tarazi for uh, a special basketball project, and we were talking about this very issue and her concerns about what makes news as it relates to women's basketball. For instance, uh, you know, the Brittany Griner situation um, as it relates to, you know, her marriage and its dissolution, et cetera, et cetera. She goes, is that what it takes for the WNBA to get into the news? And it's, it's disconcerting for all of us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we have to look at the point in history at which our game is. We're not as advanced as the men's game because – you know, Title IX doesn't come into formation. But, uh, we, we didn't have the opportunities initially. Our responsibility is to play the game at the highest level we can possibly play it. You know, I'm a big fan of the, the San Antonio Spurs and the Jacob Reese quote, which basically says, you know, the stonecutter keeps pounding on the rock, and he knows that it wasn't the hundredth blow when the split finally happened of that rock. It was all that went into it before. So our responsibility Mm. is to become as skilled as we possibly can, to get the best coaching as we possibly can, to work as hard as we possibly can to make this game compelling and interesting. And it's our responsibilities as journalists to bring the best stories into the public consciousness. And that's all we can do with China. You know, it is literally all we can do. You work as, and I, I say this to young broadcasters, who might be struggling with a certain assignment or not having gotten a certain assignment. And and this goes back to your point about radio. 
you know, when I started in radio in 1997 for the WNBA, there was no one listening. No one. The most listeners I had was the NBA used to put WNBA broadcasts. When you called the NBA office and you were put on hold, you would actually hear the broadcast of WNBA franchises on radio. And I guarantee you I had more listeners on that than anywhere else when you were on hold. Wow. It didn't matter. You do the job that is in front of you to the greatest degree that you are capable, and you've got to let the chips fall where they may. That's simply, it's, mm. it's all you can do in life to me. Incredible. That is really, really great advice. And and when you think about going back to young broadcasters, I have this question for you, because sometimes I think, you know, when I ask young people, well, what sport do you want to work? It's very rare that someone says they want to work in women's sports. It's becoming more popular. But you have kept you have stayed involved in women's sports. Now, beyond the fact that obviously you played college basketball because you've you've you have the opportunity if you wanted to do all nba i'm sure you could do that if you wanted to do all college men's basketball i'm sure you could do that more eyes probably more money more fans all of the above but what has kept you involved in in women's sports to the degree in which you have well it means a great deal to me obviously because i did play it and coach it and don't don't think i don't mean to be disingenuous here that there are times where i question my sanity relative to my schedule you know, for young broadcasters, this is not, you know, they see us on the games. And those are the absolute best moments, right? Because you are in a live environment uh, with players competing and energy from the crowd. And that's special. You know, what they don't see is I touched home twice in January for probably about 36 hours. And that was it. So from October to June, it can get hard. And I have considered consolidating my schedule. And at some point that may, that may happen. Um, but I just had this conversation with Jeff Walls when I covered the Notre Dame-Louisville game for, for Big Monday. He, he actually said, why do you still cover women's basketball? And I would say the answer is twofold. I care about the game, first and foremost. I did play it. I did coach it. Where it fits in the larger context of society is important to me. The other part is I work with an extraordinary team, as you know. I think Dave O'Brien mm-hmm. is as fine a broadcaster as there is in the country in any sport, and I think obviously the assignments he gets are indicative of that. Uh, Holly Rowe is the best teammate I've ever had at ESPN alongside of Rebecca Lobo. Uh, you know, we have new leadership on women's college basketball that I think cares a great deal about its future, and so all of that contributes to what we do. I, I think Carol Lawson is as bright a basketball mind as we have at ESPN, regardless of gender. And it's been a blast to sort of try to incorporate her on our team. And so all of those things factor into me remaining a part of a game I feel lucky to be a part of. Well, let me tell you, I am so happy. I don't know if it's a record for you on Big Monday, but I feel like I've heard more from you every week on the Women's College Package than ever before. And, honey, I don't miss a moment. And I'm sure fans are so happy. We're like, we get Doris Burke every week. And that that helps us to move into Big Monday because I want to talk about that. You know, obviously there's a big game coming up between UConn and South Carolina this Big Monday. Huge, huge game. It could be UConn's. 100th straight win. They have SMU on Saturday. If they win that, which they're expected to, they could win uh, 100 straight games. But let's talk about Big Monday and the teams that you've seen before we get into that matchup. Outside of UConn, and we're going to put, we're going to say on their best night, 
Who is the best team you've seen other than the UConn Huskies this year and why? Well, I think there are two teams to come that come to mind because the question really is who can beat the Connecticut Huskies this year. That's really the question that that's looming for women's college basketball. And uh, we'll get into South Carolina, and I'll discuss the reasons why I think they have a chance and why I question whether or not they will. The two teams that I think have the best chance to beat Connecticut, I'll start with the Baylor Lady Bears. Let's start with Alexis Jones. Uh, you're talking about a point guard who's a dual threat. She can uh, take over a game and get 30 if necessary. She can facilitate. She makes all the right passes. She gets them organized and into sets that need to happen. They've got a dominant interior game. Uh, one of the things you have to do at the highest level of basketball, and I don't care if we're talking about an NBA championship or an NCAA men's championship or women's championship, you can't be grinding for every single score. It's really hard to win a championship when you've got to grind for every basket. And so they can generate easy points. They can get it in transition with the brilliant Nina Davis. Um, you know, they've got two big physical strong post players that can command double teams that, that can dominate the backboards. And they also, you know, have an outstanding coaching staff who are going to put them in a position from a play calling and a, and a defensive strategy standpoint to win. The other team, I think, has a chance, and, and everybody's going to say, well, Maryland really was down. What were they down? 15, 16, 18 points against Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It, were, it was, you know, a big comeback was required. What I like about Brenda Fries's teams are, you know, she is able to imbue in that group an incredible confidence, a freedom, a joy. And with Destiny Slocum at the point guard position, uh, who will not be a freshman and who clearly played like anything other than a freshman in the second half of that Connecticut matchup, I think they're incredibly uh, well positioned because Brianna Jones is a difficult person to check. Uh, There's some athleticism on the wings. They have some depth. And I just love the confidence Destiny Slocum gives that group along with, with Brenda Free. So those would be the two teams that I think have a good shot. I will also add this. Notre Dame on the last big Monday played as well as I have seen them play all year. And I, I ran into Neil Ivy on the plane departing South Bend. And I said, that's mm-hmm. as good as you looked on both ends. That was the team that everybody expected to be vying for the number one, number two position uh, in terms of NCAA seating all season long. Now, can they sustain that? We'll see. And I, I purposely avoided South Carolina because I know you want to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we definitely want to talk about the Gamecocks, but you make some very interesting points. You know, we all sit around and we put this formula together. Okay, what is it going to take to beat UConn? And I want to ask you about a team that you didn't name because I feel very strongly that Mississippi State could be amongst those teams that have a chance to beat UConn. Now, do they have that experience of the Final Four environment like Notre Dame, like Baylor, like Maryland? No. So obviously that's a concern. The one thing I think uh, that separates, and it all goes back to UConn, let's be honest. So last year's UConn team, in my opinion, you couldn't defend them, period. You just could not because they had three of the best players to ever play on the, on the college level. This year, I think, someone, if good enough, defensively, could defend UConn. Now, do you still have to be able to score points? Yes. But I think they're more vulnerable on the offensive end 
then obviously they have been the last four teams. And Mississippi State, I'll tell you, I had their game on Sunday. Vic Schaefer had an hour-and-a-half shoot-around, and I think him and his assistant Johnny Harris went through every possible scenario of what Missouri could have ran. Their defensive details are very impressive. And after losing to UConn last year by 60 points, obviously, in the tournament, it was an embarrassment. I think it's something they will remember. But I also think that they may have a chance. Do you agree, agree. that they have what it – or do you think they, they're missing something? If so, what is that? Agree. I 100% agree, and here's why. And I was just re-watching the second half of Maryland-Connecticut. I do think Connecticut, because of their lack of depth, and, you know, you, you could, and it's interesting, you could look at any number of the contenders and see freshman point guards um, in a variety of spots. But anyway, I do think you can pressure UConn. And, you know, if, if Mississippi State were relentless and creating extra possessions and turning the Connecticut Huskies over and putting game pressure on them in, say, a regional final, you are 100% correct. I could not be more impressed with Mississippi State. It's interesting. In the game they lost, Vic had said to us at shoot-around, thought they could negate uh-huh. some of their interior game because he had fouls at his disposal that perhaps they did not. Uh-huh. As it turned out, South Carolina got to their high-low game late, fouls out their key personnel in the interior, and, and ends up going on to win that game. Now, you can question the calls, et cetera, et cetera, and I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch of that game. <clears throat> but yeah. I would say to you, I 100% agree with you, Mississippi State could, could could cause problems for the Connecticut Huskies. And I 100% agree with you that they are vulnerable. And I am shocked that the Connecticut Huskies, given their schedule, are undefeated. And I would tell you unequivocally oh that, that after that gauntlet they went through early, their staff was equally surprised. Oh, yeah. Gino was, you know, I think Gino was a little bit disappointed. And I've, I've said this before. I think he was disappointed in everyone they had played that they hadn't gotten beaten. I mean, he wanted to get beat. He wanted to fix things. And, um, you know, I was also disappointed. I, I was like, where, where, this is your opportunity to knock off UConn. Right. Finally, there's no Brianna Stewart. There's no Mariah Jefferson. <laughs> and no one can do it. The one thing I will say about Mississippi State is, you know, they do need to continue to develop their half-court offense. You know, Dominique Dillingham had a big day on Sunday against Missouri. If she can shoot the three and, and give them some scoring the way she has, and if Morgan William can be effective, because that's a small backcourt, you know, size-wise with William and and uh, Dillingham. It's a small backcourt, and UConn's got size at every position, and that can be tough. So, um, you know, we'll continue to watch that. But let's talk about this matchup between South Carolina and, and the Connecticut Huskies and what you see happening. And, and do you think South Carolina has a shot? Well, and I've said this. You know, I believe South Carolina has every basketball piece necessary to beat the Connecticut Huskies. So what do I mean by that? Well, they have a dominant high-low game with Asia Wilson and Elena Coates. And if you remember in the matchup a season ago, Morgan Tuck checked Elena Coates one-on-one. They didn't have to bring a double. They may have periodically, but she checked her one-on-one. Now, and and this is what makes Gina Oriama masterful to me, is he specializes in putting his players in positions to be successful and keeping them away from positions where their weaknesses could be exposed. And then he reverses that against his opponents. 
he's going to make your weakest point beat them. He's going to expose your weakness and try to mask yep. and take away your strengths. That's that to me. He does so many things well. And I'm going to just say this to you. He will never get the credit on a national level that he deserves. Because when we mention Bill Belichick, and when we mention Mike Krzyzewski, and when we mention the greatest coaches of their generation, Gino Oriama should be mentioned in the same breath. He's the best coach in women's yeah. basketball history. To me, it's not close. And, and there are so many reasons why too many to document on your podcast. So, <laughs> one, can South Carolina get, will they have the game plan discipline necessary to execute and get to their strengths, which is their high-low game. Kayla Davis, will she embrace the challenge of affecting the game on both sides of the basketball? And the last time I had South Carolina, there was a five-game stretch where Kayla Davis was shooting something like in the 20% and below 20% from three. And it's something I don't understand. She's too physically gifted. She has the exact like frame you would want in a basketball player. They're going to need every piece, Lachina. They, too, have a freshman point guard. She's going to have to be rock solid with the basketball. She's going to have to get them into offense against pressure. She's going to have to be able to call sets, listen to Dawn, execute the game plan, when Bianca Cuevas-Moore comes in the basketball game, we need the best version of Bianca Cuevas-Moore. That means somebody mm-hmm. who is uh, setting the pace and transition, attacking, getting easy points, setting up her teammates, making big shots, and she simply must avoid a high turnover number in that game. Gray has got to be sensational on the wing. She's got to make shots. She's going to have to contribute on the backboards. And all of this stuff has to come together on the road in a hostile environment against one of the most disciplined, well-coached teams in the country. Do I believe they have the pieces and the depth? No question. Do I believe that Dawn and her staff are going to put together a game plan um, that, if executed the way they hope, can beat Connecticut? Yes. We'll see if that happens. You know, a couple things I, I'm thinking about listening to you talk because you make some very, very great points about about both teams. Going back to your point about Gino, I mean, I think you're 100 percent correct in that he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I mean, I'll tell you this, Doris, one thing I respect about him as a as a young journalist and as an analyst Gino will talk to me. He will tell me what he actually thinks. He's not hiding anything. He's not going to just talk to me about the matchup he's in, but he's going to talk to me about women's basketball. Sometimes I feel like our game is is a big secret, you know, and everyone's so tied up in whatever they're doing that the coaches aren't growing each other. We're not learning enough. And that's one reason why I wanted to start this podcast is because I want people to hear more from the voices that matter in our game, like yourself, like Tara Vanderveer, like Gino, like Don Staley. But I have learned more in Gino Oriama practices from him, from watching Chris Daly, from just how they prepare than I have learned in any other arena I've ever been in in basketball. I mean, he knows exactly what he wants from each player, what it should look like, what it should taste like, what it should smell like. He knows. And I think you're 100% correct in that what he is doing is monumental, what he's done, and he is, he's the GOAT, hands down. 
just to your point about their preparation and, and the learning that you do in their practices, I would say that I, I too, never walk out of their gym feeling unfulfilled, that I, I have taken some piece of information away. And people ask me all the time, you know, why are they so dominant? Why do they win so much? And it's not because, and we'll use a graphic in the South Carolina UConn game that will document exactly how many All-Americans he has relative to some of the other teams in the country. It's not about them getting the best players. Is he afforded the luxury now of being a bit more selective than maybe when he first took over at Connecticut? Yes, he is. But the reality is this. If, if the best player in the country had an ego or had character issues that he looked at and thought in talking to this person, mm, they're probably not going to fit my program, then I'm telling you he wouldn't recruit that player. And yeah. here's what I always say. If you want to know why they've won the way they've won and in the fashion they do it with the respect that they pay to the game every single time they hit the floor, go watch them practice. And yep. there's a story I relate quite often. I don't remember which national championship this was because I've been there for, for most of them. There was a, a, a pregame shoot-around the day of a national championship, and they're going over just 5-on-0 drilling. There's two, you know, the teams are first team one end, second team the other. And Chris is at the team at the end where the Chris Daly is at the end where the the second unit is. And a walk on comes across the lane and stops maybe a foot from where she should have stopped in in this five on zero sort of gets your timing down. And Chris mm -hmm. Daly laid into that walk on who was not going to see a minute's worth of time that night, like she was the most important player on the floor. And I thought to myself. That's it right there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's a level of expectation that you bring every single day to what they do. And there's a curiosity about Gina Oriam. I mean, there's many. He's very smart and fun. You know, he's curious about what makes you tick. When you've called a game, LaChina, something's telling me in his head he's sort of, you know, kind of flipping through a pile like, what's, what's LaChina's background? You know, where does she come from? Who did she play for? You know, that, that constant, let me ask questions. And I watched a program the other night. It was on SNY, and it was it sort of giving you an inside glimpse. I think it was a Q&A with the sideline reporter. And he said, I don't need another national championship. You know, I, I have many. I'm, I'm good. I'm whatever, however old he is. He said, but when a player says to me after the game or to our staff after the game, geez, coach, I didn't think I could. I didn't realize I could do that. Like, I would have killed to play for Jin Oriyama. He takes yeah. you to places that you didn't think you could go to. He stretches you as a basketball player, and he stretches you as, as a human being. And to me, there's no greater mission in life. And I, I'm, I'm very happy. And, and, and I would say the same thing for, for, for Tara who, and the best coaches in the country who care about their kids beyond the basketball floor, who are interested in developing these kids. And I've always said this, like, you can't fool kids. You kids will sniff out a uh, a disingenuous coach faster than you can say boo. They know whether yeah. you care about them first and foremost as people or basketball players. And when you prove to them that you care about them first as people, they will run through a wall for you. Yep, yep. And he does. He gets that next level out of them. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how South Carolina responds to that environment. And let me just say, 
while we're talking about great coaches. It's amazing that we're even asking the question if South Carolina can beat UConn based on where South Carolina was before Dawn Staley got there. Tremendous right. no job in what she's done. Tremendous job in what she's done. But to put the wrap on that game, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with Bianca Cuevas because she showed us in those waning minutes of Tennessee – of the Tennessee loss, how brilliant she can be, right? She hit big shots. She made good decisions. But if you go back to that very final offensive possession where it looked like she may have had time to get to the rim, may have taken an early shot, and obviously there's a lot that goes into those moments with players, you know, with everything's moving fast, you may not necessarily know. But those are the kind of moments where UConn will bite you because you have to limit your mistakes and you have to make the most out of your possessions. And I think Bianca Cuevas is going to be key in doing that. Doris, um, Tarika is rushing me off, but I have to ask you one more question before we let you go. Um, WNBA, who's going to be the number one pick in the WNBA draft? If everyone if that's eligible decides to come out, who do you think? Well, and take team need aside. Just I want you your honest opinion based on talent, based on what you know about the league. Who who would yeah. be the best number one pick? Well, you have to remember now, I'm, I'm going to just go off the top of my head because, one, I don't cover the WNBA or its draft anymore, so I – I don't necessarily yeah. lock into that. I mean, the first response okay. I have is if... We won't if hold it against Johnson, you. We won't hold it against you. <laughs> no, no, no. If Diamond DeShields is the player that I saw against South Carolina, if that Diamond DeShields is in the draft, then I my my first instinct would be, ooh, she, she, she's going to be a great pro. Um, mm-hmm. But give me some other names too. Give me, give me who else? Because there's a, bu- a bunch of juniors um, who are draft eligible. Yeah. Well, what about uh, well Kelsey Plum? Do you think uh, she's got a shot at going first? She. What about Elena Coates? Or Coates? Or Kelsey Mitchell? Or yeah, if she declares, I would say well, those are the lot, five. That's be a fun draft. I know. If those, if if everyone declares and goes, I would say those are probably the four names I'm hearing most often for that number one spot. Interesting. I'm I'm at at her absolute best, engaged and trying to be a fact both ends. It would be hard for me to turn down Diamond to Shield. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Doris Burke, thank you so much. I'm sorry we kept you a little bit of extra time. No. And this won't thank be the last time. I have made it. We, I can be around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Dave O'Brien. I'm giving it to you Monday night. Well, keep rocking our Mondays. And, and we love he- hearing you talk about dancing leprechauns. I would love for you to get a tough SOB in if you can. One of my favorite lines I've ever heard from you. Thank you for being a wonderful role model for me. You've always supported what people don't know about you, Doris Burke, and I want them to know on this podcast. You go out of your way to support other women and you don't put it on blast. You're not everywhere on social media, but I don't know a young woman I've come into contact with in this business who has not gotten words of encouragement from you, who has not been inspired from, by you in a, in a direct way. You have blazed the trail, but not only that, you've reached back and personally pulled so many of us up by the bootstraps. And we just want well, to thank you for Christine, that. So, thank I would you. just say this to you. With, with the likes of you and Rebecca and Carol Lawson out there, I will tell you that I am so excited to see the, the levels that you all reach because you will go places you know, that I'm scrapping and clawing and trying to get to. And I'm inspired by your work ethic and your passion. So all of you. Uh, so 
Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Well, we're riding on your coattails. Thank you so much, Doris. We'll have you back again. We please come Sounds back. <laughs> I'd love okay. It. All right. Thank you. Fans, stay right where you are. It is halftime. When we come back in the third quarter, we will have the Maryland super duo of Shatori Walker Kimbrough and Brianna Jones, as well as some of your questions in the fourth quarter. We'll be right back. Third quarter. Scouting report. Fans, welcome to the third quarter. This is the scouting report, and we are very fortunate to have with us two of the hottest players in the nation right now. That's right. We have the Maryland Terrapins on around the rim, so we want you to help us in welcoming Brianna Jones and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hey, guys. Hi. <clears throat> so let's start with um, this Wow. So you're 22 and one overall. That's just amazing in itself. Um, and that loss coming to, of course, number one overall UConn. So every year the team changes, right? So tell me what you guys think is unique about this year's team. Either one of you guys can answer that. What's unique about this year's team? Uh, I think the most unique thing about this team is um, just uh, the freshmen coming in this year. Uh, they brought a lot of energy, even from the start, and then just their their talent level, and I think uh, that's just made us uh, even better this year. And uh, just to piggyback off what Bree said, uh, I also think that we're – I feel like we've always been versatile, but I think that we're really, really versatile this year, just how many players can come in and play different positions. And I think that goes from how confident and how um, productive our freshman class has been. Um, they just coming in with just great confidence and being able to be effective and affect the game at whatever position coach puts them in. Now, that's interesting that you guys talk about the freshmen because I did want to bring up Destiny Slocum. And I know that, Shatori, you've been doing some mentoring um, of her, you know, trying to help her come along. Obviously, she's going to be a big part of you guys' success. She is such an exciting player to watch. Tell me, does she have any cool nicknames, any fun facts about Destiny? Like, give us some teammate scoop about her, things that people maybe don't know off the court. Um, I mean, one thing about her, I don't know if you can tell about her playing, but she has a great personality off the court. I mean, she's always making us laugh by just dancing. I don't know if you catch her dancing, like, on the on the sideline when she's out. Or just, <laughs> I mean, she says some, uh, some funny jokes. Um, but it's funny because, like, people will call her Dez. Uh, sure for uh-huh. Destiny, but she doesn't like that because her name is not Destiny. She <laughs> likes Des. She makes she makes uh, sure that we we know that she wants Des, not Des. <laughs> i had a best friend when i was in first grade her name was destiny porter actually and she we used to call her des and there's a big difference because des can sometimes be like a boy's (laughs) nickname you know what i mean yeah no but she's so fun to watch and i know she'll be a big part of your success um brianna i wanted to ask you a question because i I believe you you're you're still leading the country in field goal percentage i mean something like 70 percent ridiculous um and you're also a fantastic rebounder but as far as your efficiency like just your ability to finish and i'm sure you get this question a lot so i'm gonna tell i'm gonna give you some things you can't say you can't say it's my teammates giving me good passes you can't say <laughs> my teammates looking out for me. I want you to give me some scoop on like if I if you were talking to a young girl who's nine years old who wants to be Brianna Jones when she gets older. How do you finish as efficiently in the paint? How would you tell her to finish like you? Um, I would say just embrace the contact because there's usually going to be contact and just try to finish through that. 
and then um, just be patient and uh, just know that you can fi- know that you can take it to the basket and you can put it in the basket and just finish. You are like amazing down low. Like I mean, if you get anywhere close to the ball, it's definitely going in. Let me ask you about something else because a lot of people don't know that you've had a tremendous journey in terms of your fitness and being the type of player that you wanted to be, your overall fitness. Just talk about just how much sacrifice. Like I remember having this conversation with Chelsea Gray during um, the WNBA finals and I was like, "Chelsea, you you know, you've lost weight, you look trim, you know, you're in shape." She said, "I don't, I can't tell you the last time I've had a chicken wing and she was like (laughs) devastated (laughs) but it's not just nutrition there's extra running there's a lot to it but how have you been able to get yourself in in such great shape Rihanna? Um, I think coming in freshman year it was just uh, the mindset of uh, what I wanted to do to help the team and help myself and I think I just put that uh, mindset into every workout that I do and then um, just carrying that off the court because it's not just in the gym and in the weight room it's just um being consistent with it off the court and just uh, staying true to what I want to do and what I what, what I wanted to do for the team. And describe for us maybe the hardest drill you remember having to do, like when you do those extra workouts. For me, it was always bear crawls on the football field. What was maybe the hardest thing that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'll be so happy when I don't have to do these anymore? Probably the hardest drill would have probably be running on the fourth. It's uh, the treadmill that you have to power with your own, like you have to power yourself. Like it doesn't run, like you have to make it go. So I think that was the hardest one, and we had to uh, run laps. Yeah, yeah, I've been on one of those before. That is not fun. Um, Shatori, your journey um, is is also really impressive. You know, I was looking at your numbers, and we're talking about how great that Brianna has been from the field. And, I mean, as a shooter, in conference, you're shooting, I look at conference numbers at this time of year, you're shooting 50% from the field, better than that overall, 40% from the three-point line. Like, those are numbers that just don't happen often um, from the guard spot and from a player that people know that they're focusing in on you defensively. But you weren't always a shooter. And I want you to describe for the fans just that process of what you went through in AAU in high school and how that felt when you weren't a shooter and how you were able to get to this point where you are right now? Yeah, life was life was hard when you're just a driver because everyone just packs it in. Like, in high school, it was just, just bad because everyone, like, if I caught it, they would just back up to, like, the paint. And because I didn't have confidence in my shot, like, I just was it just, it was just a struggle. <laughs> and and that was just one thing I wanted to, to get better at, um, especially for our team because I feel like if, if the teams are able to sink in on you, they're easy. They're easily to double bree or double off on someone else. So I felt like if if I can confidently knock shots down, then that would make my defender have to respect me, which is which makes it easier shots for my other teammates as well. So Shatori, with that, what kind of things did you have to actually do daily uh, to improve your shooting? Well, at first it was just mostly reps, and then I started shooting the ball pretty. Pretty pretty well, and then I, I hit another wall where um, my foot was always on the line. So that was another another step I had to had another journey I had to overcome, another challenge. So then I just started shooting. Just did that it was just more reps and just court awareness, just knowing where I'm at on the court, um, knowing like how to step into the ball, knowing where I'm at. Just um, like I said, reps and just court awareness after after getting reps on uh, just to catch a shooting, just get my follow through. Well, the Maryland offense is outstanding. I think last time I looked, you guys were leading the nation and scoring at about 90 points a game. And Brenda Freeze is the mastermind behind this. Obviously, she's had a, tr- a ton of 
success. You guys every year are in the best teams of the nation. Um, I know you guys have spent some time at Coach Freeze's house in Iowa. What have you learned about her maybe as a person that you didn't know um, when you were coming into Maryland from maybe those visits with at home with her? Um, the first time, well, the first time we went to visit Coach V's uh, house, we saw a video of her playing, and uh, I think we learned a lot about where she gets her uh, tenacity and her fierceness as a coach. I think she played with that um, from what we saw on the film. Okay, Tori, anything? Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say I didn't. I didn't know this, but like it, it helped me understand more because of how she really, really, really pushes family of how we how we are a family, and then coming from how she has, I want to say, like, six siblings, and then they have, like, like her, her parents have, like, 14, 15 grandkids, and they're just all one big family. So, I mean, I just see where that, where that comes from, and that was cool to see how much she, she has support at home and see how, why she carries that over with us. Yeah, I remember her telling uh, me a story once about how she used to enter the Elks competitions with, I think it was either her dad or maybe her granddad, I can't remember, but the sh- the free throw shooting competitions. And I was like, the Elks Club, everybody knows what the Elks Club is, right? That's where all the older people go. Uh, but anyway, I remember her telling the story. They have a great legacy of basketball in their family. Um, how about each of you give me your, your top Brenda Freeze quote? Like, if there's one thing that either makes you laugh when she says it or something that she says to you all the time that you know when she says this what she means give me your top brenda freeze quote each of you give me one um okay all right i'll switch it up a little bit what is okay no that's okay that's okay what does she say to get you guys fired up because i always see her like her motivational speeches like what is maybe something that she says to you each of you individually or something that she tells you about your game that gets you ready to play um i know recently or i would say but i feel like mostly this year for me um and over the course of my career she's really been been challenging me um on defensively um, so I've just been not necessarily the things that she says, but just taking on that challenge each game to to check the best guard on the other team and and hold them to lower than their average. Or I just t- I try to uh, take that challenge that she gives me even even in practice each day. Also, okay. And Brianna, I think uh, for me, just every time she challenges challenges me on something, either whether it's if I'm not finishing or if I'm not making free throws or if uh, I'm not. Uh, following the scout the right way I think every time she challenges me just taking that to heart and then trying to go out and fix whatever the problem is yeah, whatever she wants done, I'm trying to do it. I mean, when I watch those speeches <laughs> pregame, I'm like, I'm like, okay, where do we go, coach? What do I need to do? Because she definitely gets fired up. And speaking of which, um, just two more questions for you guys quickly. Um, if either of you could speak to just obviously there's been a lot of controversy the last few weeks as we've had the reveal of the top 16 seeds and everybody's like, oh, Maryland needs to be higher. And Rebecca Lobo's like, oh, Maryland needs to be higher. You know, all this talk. Um, well, how have you guys dealt with that internally? If, if one of you could answer that question, just how have you guys processed um, some of the conversation that's going around on around your program? Um, we use it. We use it as motivation. Um, I mean, we don't necessarily always like to look into it. Be, look into it because we're, we want to stay focused on the right now. Um, and I don't want. We don't mm-hmm. want to get caught up in looking too far ahead. And because I, I feel like when when teams do that, then they may drop one or two games that they shouldn't drop because they're overlooking teams. 
So we just we we take it, um, we use it as motivation, and then we try to mostly stay focused on what's out ahead. The next team. Yeah, I would agree. Controlling what we can control, and then going from there, because we can't control uh, where they see us right now. But I think we we can take care of uh, whenever we play. Just go out play our Maryland basketball and just win every game out. And you guys have done that. I mean, the the record speaks for itself. The twenty two and one. My last question for both of you. Um, obviously, you will both be selected in the WNBA draft. Um, what will that mean to you? To when you hear your number called, and then you know, what kind of player do you see yourself as at the next level? If you could give me an example of maybe a player that's in the league, where you say, okay, I could that that may be something I could do in the league. So. If you can speak to that, um, it would be an also player that you could see yourself playing like. Yeah, um, I mean that means that means the world to just being able to see your dreams uh, hopefully come through. Come through. Um, just all the hard work that we've been put been been put in, and and the opportunities that have presented itself. And honestly, at the at next level, just trying to do whatever whatever a coach needs me to do, whether that be a good teammate, whether that be, uh, obviously be a good teammate regardless, but um, defend or assist or, I mean, just just try to do whatever the coach needs me to do. Okay. Like it. Brianna? Uh, for me, it would just be, uh, it would just solidify all the hard work that I put in uh, during my time here and before that and just um, seeing all my dreams come true, that would be just a, just a great feeling, and I can't imagine how it's going to be. Um, but And I think right now I can't think of anyone who I would say I would uh, resemble, but I think just going out, like Shatori said, and uh, doing whatever the coach needs me to do um, and just bringing everything that I've brought here to whatever team I end up with. Well, since you guys don't want to put it out there, let me put a couple <laughs> players out there that I think. <laughs> so, Shatori, when I watch you play, I think you could be, you could have an, an Angel McCautry-type impact. What I mean by that is your speed end-to-end. I think you could be outstanding defensively. I think you've just scratched the surface of what you can be defensively. I can see you getting in the passing lanes the way McCautry does and things like that. But you add to the fact that you have a beautiful jump shot, um, you know, and Angel is more of a driver not no, not as good as an outside shooter but I could see you being that type of player having that kind of impact so for Brianna I get a little excited that's why I think my phone's cutting out um, I would say a little bit of Sylvia Fowles and probably a little bit of Brittany Griner with the field goal percentage what are you thinking Brianna that sound doable Oh, that does sound doable. <laughs> I actually, when I first thought about it, the player, and she's a little older in her career now, but I could actually see you being like an Erica DeSouza type player, the kind of power that she played with, that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, we'll take either of those players. They were all WNBA All-Stars, so we'll take all three. Um, ladies, I want to thank you for your time. And thank you so much. And for everything you guys are doing this season, uh, again, what you guys did against UConn has everybody excited because you played them so close and we're like listen we want to see this team again in March and see how far they can get I'm sure your aspirations are to win a national championship and we will be here watching you thank you so much and fans now it's time for the fourth quarter fourth quarter out of bounds I mean I've been doing all the lifting today so I'm just gonna let Tarika take us through this fourth quarter because I'm tired T where you at girl 
I, I bet you are tired. It's been a jam-packed show, but it's been a great show nonetheless. So what I think would be cool for us to do is to look at our Twitter because we had some fans reach out to us for our Section W questions. So I am going to pick one, which is coming from at Dream242, and they would like to know, who is your dream matchup for this year's national championship? Oh, man. Um, a dream matchup for this year's national championship. Gosh, everybody's going to hate me for this. You know? Of course they I are. Can, I can already feel it. I would love to see um, UConn versus Tennessee. I know. I'm one of those people who obsesses about the old days of Tennessee versus UConn mm-hmm. and Pat versus Geno. And obviously, I know we're far from those days. But I do believe that um, when Tennessee is at their best, they are a Final Four team. They have all the pieces um, from DeShields to Mercedes Russell to uh, Jamie Nard, who have all been exceptional and I would just love to see both of those fan bases in particular. And I know we need new faces, and I get all that. Um, you know, so you're surrounded by two other teams that are less likely, you know, maybe to be in the mix. Maybe NC State or someone like that makes it, or, um, you know, Duke even. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe Mississippi State or somebody sneak. You know, you want some teams to get in that we haven't seen in a while or maybe that have never been there. But I would love to see UConn, Tennessee. I mean, y'all can boo me now. That's fine. It's okay. I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. No, Whatever. That's, that's pretty dope, though. I think if it was up to me, I would probably want to see a Notre Dame versus a Washington with a Washington winning at all. Just because I think it'd be great to see the Pac-12 walk away with a championship. And Kelsey Plum has just had such an awesome freaking year that for her to cap it off with a title and then, you know, for Chantel Osahor, I just think that'd be great to see them finally you know come away come away with a victory that would be a dream matchup for me and quite opposite to you it would not be any team that we would be used to seeing it wouldn't be the original you know dominant powerhouses in in college basketball so that'd be great I know whatever and I would love to see I'll be honest with you I'd love to see Kelsey Plum play that far into it meaning to win a championship because um more people need to see what she's doing and Mike Neighbors is a fantastic coach and they just are such a fun team I mean I would love to see that I'm always I'm always happy when Muffet gets there um and I think they've put in the work with all the final four appearances to win another national championship um and so you want to see them get over the hump too so I'm okay with what you have but I'm sticking with mine that's all good Well, fans, that is it. And um, we just want to thank you for continuing to support the show. Please follow us. Um, be our hashtag. We have to figure out if we're going to get an actual handle on um, Twitter. But hashtag around the rim. We can go and find your comments and your questions. Um, again, we record shows when we can. We're, we know you guys want more and more and more. We're working on bringing you as much as we can. We thank you for your patience as we're not even a year old with this podcast. So a lot of learning um, we're still continuing to do. And um, my Twitter handle is at LaChina Robinson and Tarika Foster Brasby, our producer who you just heard from her uh, handle is at she knows sports underscore. So um, enjoy and have fun on big Monday until next week, people peace. Yeah.
Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.